that goatee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and put on an accent, you know, like, oh, oh yeah, uh, I work up at the UP. I was doing that accent to Alicia, my friends Alicia and Rachel over lunchtime because they're like, we just don't understand the North at all. And I was telling yeah. the story about Abe at Wisconsin. And you, when you roll into town, you got to turn right at the big musky statue. And Alicia was looking at me. And she's like, Nathan, what's a musky? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the January term of the Admissions Director's Lunchcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ament, Vice President of Enrollment Management at Loyola University, New Orleans. And I'm joined as always by my co-host, Tej Matil, Director of Enrollment Success at EnrollML. Tegi, how are you this fine, fine January, early January day? Burr, it is cold on the ski hills in Wisconsin. And it is probably 65 <laughs> degrees. Oh, no need in for the this. Swamp. No need oh, for this. We're not going to pretend. Nobody, okay, nobody, nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Okay. All right. We're, we're recording these in September. So Correct. we're just trying to look forward to yes. January because technically, actually, in reality, it is going to be 95 degrees here in Louisiana on this September day. So yeah. I am desperately wow. waiting for the January term and it is here. <laughs> Quick reminder for our guests about how these January terms work, Tej. You want to cue that up? Yes. Last fall, we dropped an entire season, the fourth season of the Admissions Director's Lunchcast. Each episode, we keep it to under an hour so it can fit into your lunch break. But some of the interviews just really go on so long, and there's so much good content that we bring them back for this special extended interview edition. I think this January, we actually decided to do a little bit of a theme because as we were putting these together for season four, we realized some of the more lengthy interviews Mm -hmm. just naturally had a theme. And what is that theme, Pete? Oh, financial aid, pricing, merit aid, scholarships, all of that. Just all in a bundle. Financial aid. And appropriate for January, right? Um, We usually put our financial aid awards out. Middle of January, you know, some Mm -hmm. folks get them out earlier, some folks get them out later, depending on your cycle. But we are here in January to talk about financial aid and pricing and affordability. And these are some really great extended conversations. So I think we are going to close up this opening banter and get right to our interview for the January term. Nathan, you're not supposed to call it banter. That breaks the fourth. Sorry. Is that like the wall? Because I know you're watching Game of Thrones again. I know you're really obsessed with walls or you're just watching it for the first time. Right. So anyway, banter just continues to go too long and it's, uh, you know, frozen like Jon Snow in the snow. Are you there yet? Teach? I am. Frankly, I'm not sure. <laughs> I got to season three finale yesterday and Jon Snow looks like he may have been maybe dead, but I, I don't think it's the episode. Nathan, we have to wrap this up. We Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. get this to these enough. interviews. This is enough. Yeah. Way great, too much. Way too great much. conversations with Jim, Ryan, Matt, and Mark. And I can't wait for, for our friends to listen to the, the full context of the conversation. And as always, we'll see you on the other side. 
Well, Nathan, you know better than anyone how excited I am about our next guest. Uh, we have joining with us someone who I have always, in my career, looked up to and admired as just an outstanding admissions professional. Um, Jim Zielinski, currently the co-director of college counseling at the Prairie School in Racine, Wisconsin. Jim, welcome to the LunchCast. Thank you so much. I didn't know you thought so much of me, so that's great. <laughs> I, I do, you may not know it, but everyone else does, uh, so that's, that's good. Jim, for the, the folks uh, maybe who haven't been uh, looking up to you for 15 years like I have, can you tell us a little bit about your career trajectory and how you landed in your current role? Um, oh my goodness. Um, you know, like everybody else in this field, I grew up knowing I wanted to be an admissions counselor and it was my life dream. Um, so no, one day it just kind of happened. I did a master's degree in higher ed administration and uh, um, worked for seven years in upstate New York. And one day beyond my wildest dreams found myself in Wisconsin um, where I worked as a director of admissions for 23 years. Um, and then again, one day beyond my wildest dreams, I said, it's time to move on and uh, uh, went to the other side of the desk, which has been a great, I'll use capstone phrase um, to my career. I'm starting my eighth year um, at the Prairie School. It's been a wonderful transition, a wonderful experience um, after 30 plus years in college to be sent back to high school uh, was a little bit eye-opening, um, um, but um, a lot of fun. I love working with the kids one-on-one, -on -one, the families. Um, it's just been a, a, great, uh, a great run. Thank you. So Jim, the conversation today, we're kind of operating under a core assumption that there's a group of families who are not eligible for federal or even state grants, but do not feel that their incomes would enable them to afford college on their own. Having been, as you just said, on both sides of the desk now, what can you tell us about the experience for this group? Oh my goodness. Um, yes, this is uh, a huge group of people and I think much larger group than um, society realizes. I think, everyone thinks there is all of this state and federal money um, waiting out there for the taking when indeed, I think it's a very small percentage of the college going population that qualifies um, uh, for that as those of us, you know, certainly in the industry know, but I think that's a very eye-opening um, realization for families um, when they get into it. Um, you know, and it's also a wide range of, of people. Um, it's the just beyond Pell um, population um, um, who perhaps truly can't afford college. Um, um, it's the group that um, think they can't afford college, I think. Um, and it's also um, the I don't want to be able to afford college or I don't want to have to pay for college group or as we used to say on the other side of the desk, the group that um, uh, had want-based financial need, um, the want-based need population. So uh, we know uh, that one well. <laughs> we know that one well, don't we? So um, what do you mean I don't qualify for anything? So, you know, I think we, it's, uh, it's a, and it's a, such an interesting mix of financial resources, levels of sophistication in regard to the whole academic um, situation, but also just 
um, you know, the whole college going process um, as well. So, um, you know, we also are a society who has learned to not pay full price for anything. Um, so the, again, the want-based need group, but everybody's looking for a discount rate uh, or a discount, um, a discount price, excuse me. Um, so, and again, everyone thinks that all colleges have an endless pot of money, I think, um, that all financial aid is endowed, uh, and we all know different on that one. So you, you know, the tuition discounting factor and the phrase I used to use all the time on the other side of the desk was, you know, every dollar a college spends to yield a student is one less dollar they have to accommodate that student once they get there. So uh -huh. it's finding that happy happy place um, in the middle, um, you know, my line, when families are always looking for more money too, it's well, whose responsibility is it, do you think it is to pay for college? So um, for your child. So um, lots of factors, you know, go into this. One of the things that I talk about is with families right from the beginning is, you know, you might not think you'll be able to afford this, but, it generally works out. Um, you know, we, you may not go to the college you've always dreamed of going to, but you might. Um, and just kind of having that conversation with them that for many, many families, as I've worked with them on both sides of the desk, there are people who came to my colleges beyond their wildest dreams after seeing the sticker price, um, combination of institutional aid, as well as perhaps need-based assistance or, and, or whatever um, uh, funds they were able to secure. Um, but there are also families that it didn't work out for, you know, and to have that conversation with them, to help them understand that there could be other options, that other options became available, different paths to get somewhere. Um, oftentimes, you know, the, your second or third choice school becomes the school of your dreams and you didn't even know it. So, um, you know, but, you know, I've never worked with a student um, who didn't have the chance to go to college. Um, and again, it may vary for them or it may um, go in a different direction than they originally thought it would, um, but it, it works out. And we have, you know, ways of working with the students and, and exploring college options to, to find schools um, that we believe will become an affordable option for them. No, I like what you said about that. It just kind of ends up working out in the end. Um, and I think that's something that um, we can continue even on the college side to say to families, like, mm -hmm. you know, it might be us, it might be the school down the street. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're working with these families um, and you kind of have an understanding, especially in somebody in your position that you've been on both sides of the desk, but you spent so much time on the college side. Um, do you find that... Um, you're kind of factoring the institutional aid policies as you've worked with now, what, seven groups of students at the Prairie School. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of get a sense of what the institutional aid policies are. Are you factoring that into your recommendation to families, kind of knowing what they're gonna do for these three different kind of sets of um, families that are stuck in the mm -hmm. middle? Like if you know you have a family that's just above Pell and you know there's not gonna be a lot of aid available, um, do you steer them in a different direction or you know, conversely, on the on the upside of that, you know, the family that has that want financial aid, mm -hmm. um, are you going to steer them in a different way? I'm just curious and and how you um, counsel students from your side and, of the desk. Yeah, great question. And absolutely is the answer. I think that's been one of the 
biggest learning um, curves for me, you know, moving to the other side of the desk is understanding, you know, uh, schools that are perhaps a little bit more generous, schools that will always give a little bit more money, schools where you can appeal um, uh, and usually come out to the good, um, schools where I say, mm, probably not, um, and schools that I just think, uh, you know, where we've seen kids be disappointed year after year, where it just hasn't worked out. So, you know, as you say, going into year eight, um, you know, after the first couple of years and you have three or four kids applying, you know, we're a small school, but, you know, we have kids look nationwide and, you know, two thirds of our kids go out of state. So we really have a wide range of experiences with different types of schools and uh, to really have a good understanding of, you know, who's going to give you merit aid and who's going to be a little bit more generous. Um, you know, we talk about finding good fit from an academic, you know, fit, match, reach, safety, all words that we use from an academic standpoint, from a social standpoint for a kid, we have got to use that word or all of those words uh, in relation to financing and education as well. Um, an affordability fit. Um, I think when we can do that, we set kids up for greater success. You know, they're not uh, uh, enrolling at a reach school financially after they got in and, and taking on, you know, exorbitant amounts of debt or, um, you know, uh, too many heartbreaks if they did get into their academic reach schools and then not being able to go to, you know, whatever number of them because affordability didn't work out. So, you know, just from a professional integrity standpoint, from a humanistic component in working with families and understanding the emotion, the anxiety of all of this, um, in the end, they need to have viable options. And can they have financial reaches um, just as they have academic reaches? Absolutely. And we would never tell a kid you can't apply somewhere based on the price tag. Um, but helping them understand, you know, this is our experience working with that school and, you know, it might work out, it might not. I really think it's a long shot or, you know, I can also give a kid a list of 15 schools that I know in this era, they're all good fits for them academically. And if they need it, they have a great shot of getting, you know, 25 to $30,000 in merit aid from every one of those schools. So, um, and there are many kids, many families that, you know, they can look at lower price schools um, as well and have those as their safeties um, from a number of perspectives, but that also, um, they want that merit aid. They feel they deserve that merit aid, especially coming from a, a college prep school like ours where they've invested, <laughs> you know, I've got families I've had, you know, parents say to me, we are getting a merit scholarship. My kid deserves a merit scholarship. And, uh, uh, and they will go on that path. You know, um, you know, they may go with something not in the top 30 schools and they may go to the, you know, we can go down to that next group of 30 schools, damn good schools, um, but who are a little bit more willing to play that merit aid game now. And you know, if they know they want that merit aid, um, that's important to them, um, you know, especially for the high middle income or, you know, um, low upper income families. Again, that desire to pay something less than the sticker price, that can be very important um, to them. So, mm -hmm. Kim, if I can go um, <clears throat> just a, a little bit off path right now, 
you said a, a few minutes ago that that sometimes we just need to ask families whose responsibility do you think it is to to pay for mm-hmm. your child's college education um can you can you flesh that out a little bit more when when does that who who should ever say that how, how does the conversation tend to go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I think it can come from both sides of the desk. I use that phrase more in my admissions era uh, in, than I do on, on this side of the desk. You know, we don't get deep into the actual numbers on this side of the desk and looking at their FAFSA. And, uh, you know, we can talk more, we talk more broadly, I think, about need and, and what, they're, what they're looking for in, in that regard. Um, we will sometimes just talk through always around the beginning of the financial aid season, I think, um, just the whole FAFSA process and applying for aid. And I am amazed, as I've talked with some of my financial colleagues, um, financial aid colleagues over mm-hmm. the years and in and, and preparation for today, talking about and I was reminded of my admission that, you know, families are always shocked by what their EFC is. Yeah. Always shocked. You know, if it's $8,000, we can't pay that. If it's $30,000, we can't pay that. Where did it come from? You know, if it's $80,000, oh my gosh, we can't pay that, you know? Um, And, and um, so I think for, to, to be able to have, um, conversations at any point along the way about um, um, fiscal responsibility, financial literacy, understanding where this all come from comes from. You know, I I, I think for uh, we're also <laughs> we were in a conversation the other day about um, how admissions counselors, you know, the sales force of of higher education is is often 20 somethings in their first job. Mm-hmm. They're the sales force, you know. Corporate America doesn't have a lot of sales forces without more advanced training to be successful. I always used to, <laughs> you know, who and in, in this in, in you know at this level of of um, of uh, investment of cost, you know, hires, you know, 23-year-olds right out of college and sends them on the road with two weeks of training over the summer. And one of where I think where we really see it now, I'm amazed at what comes through our office on the, on the college counseling <laughs> side. And, I'm, you know, and I will call schools up to commend them and to also say, oh my God, do you know what just happened here? You know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, admissions counselors are generally terrified of getting into any financial aid conversation. Um, it's pretty rare that someone can have beyond the surface, beyond extremely superficial, um, a conversation at a, with parents, with students, um, when they're on the road, at least as I see it. And parents will often be disappointed or students will often be disappointed and just at, at what they can't find out in those conversations. And um, um, so I think that... Um, you know, whom do we serve? And, you know, I think over the years, I used to say there's a fine line in being a good admissions counselor between being a salesman and a counselor. And you have to be both of those. You have to um, be understanding and listen and, you know, communicate effectively and 
um, I think there's a greater need than ever now to be a good counselor. And I think the industry has tilted um, to be more of a sales force. And I think they are trained to, you know, we need every app we can get and mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. our apps are up. Um, but I think uh, understanding the financial aid piece and being able to talk this through with parents and families is where you earn respect, is where um, yeah, the greatest impact on your, you, you know, if, you're, if your applications are up every year, as every college in America tells us every year. Um, <laughs> um, I, thought um, it was, I thought it was just mine. Yeah, nope, 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 everybody. Um, and it's just been an amazing year and our applications were up. And what was your yield, you know? 12%, um, um, you know, when we started in this business, you never heard numbers like that. You know, it was a third, it was 28%, it was whatever. Um, and there are few schools that still quote you numbers like that, or will even quote a number. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I think that um, professionalism and that being able to, you know, finances are more important than, than ever, not that they weren't always important, but I think in light of where we are today in our world, you know, and again, the, I think the, um, the deep professionalizing, the de, um, uh, de-counseling of an admissions counselor, if you will, um, you know, as I've seen it on this side of the desk, I would be mortified um, <laughs> to, the, you know, to send a staff out with as little training as I see and an inability to talk anything financially um, with with families or you students. Know, yeah. I, I can confirm uh, that you make those calls having been on the receiving end of one soon after you arrived at Prairie School. So um, I, I won't say if it was uh, praise or criticism, but I just remember the call. <laughs> so Jim, one of the things I struggle with when I think about how do we help middle-class families manage through this is, you know, they're shocked by the EFC. And of course, the EFC is supposed to capture prior earnings, current earnings, and future earnings. It's a mix, but at the point they get to the college search process, they've already made all sorts of financial decisions that make their EFC out of reach for them. And it, it feels like it's too late. Like you, I'll speak from a, a personal experience, someone in my life, by the time they got there, they had just bought a, a new house, leased two new cars, mm -hmm. financed a bunch of furniture, and then said, how, do, how would a college expect us to do this? Absolutely. But it's too late. So what, what, what thoughts do you have as far as like, collectively, what, what do we need to do here? Boy, that's a tough one. And I, you know, I, uh, whenever we get into these conversations, again, going back to the phrase financial literacy and a complete lack of understanding of any of this um, mm -hmm. and or just um, um, believing it was going to be different, you know, believing yeah. that there was always gonna be money available. We hear about scholarships. We hear about all the money you get from the state and the feds. There ain't no money from the state and the feds. You know, you know <laughs> how much money there is, okay? Um, okay, we're Pell eligible. Uh, you know, you know what, how much money do you get from the feds if you're Pell eligible compared to what your ability is to pay, you know? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, I'm preaching to the choir, but you, you know all of that. Um, and I think, you know, the whole idea of 
creating some better system of financial literacy. You know, we do a wonder, I, we have a great financial aid night every year. We have a wonderful presenter that comes to work with us every year. And, and you know, we encourage our ninth grade families. We've had eighth grade families come. We go out on a limb to, to promote the idea that this is not for our seniors, okay? By the time you're a senior, I hope you've had a chance to come to this three or four times already to start understanding and arguably, you know, what's too soon, what's too late, I don't know. But, you know, our younger parents, our younger families that come to that will always say, oh my gosh, I never knew, or this helps me, you know, think this through or gives me a better understanding of this. Again, we're, you know, the little prairie school, school with you know 260 upper school kids but you know how do you how do you create a culture in our nation or in society where you know you can educate that whole population a little bit better and what role can the colleges take in doing that you know if everybody you know again um, uh, felt opportunities to do that with their visit program I mean you know at whatever point or to take something on the road I mean we're stretched so thin and you know what and we want to again we need to be a sales force we don't need to scare people away but i think this helps um you know to just help people better understand that you know what the circumstances are surrounding it but it's just a a complete lack of societal understanding of of how this works and as you say by the time they apply as seniors well i didn't know that or it's too late and um you know i always remember a I had a neighbor in my previous life who said, well, I don't know how anybody can go to, you know, your college. It's, it's so darned expensive. And my kid into this school and we could never afford to send him there much as we might like to, you know, and this was the family that had the vacation home up north, yep. Yep. the family took a family, family vacation to Florida every spring break. Um, mm -hmm. There were four residents in the home and four cars in the driveway that parked right next to the boat. And, you know, always had the latest and the greatest of everything. You know, I didn't grow up in a society, in a culture that did that, in a family that did that. You know, you made choices. And, um, you know, how do you change that? I don't know. But it's uh, always fascinating. You know, they used to, we used to do a presentation with public schools and private schools um, in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, there are more, um, the, the average income of a student going to a state campus was much higher than a student going to a private institution. Um, and, you know, again, you, you make choices about what you want to pay for and what you will afford. Yeah, it, it, it's so vexing because I think, you know, we, there's, there's focuses to create a college going culture, right? Like, going younger and younger into middle school, sometimes elementary school. And I, I almost mm -hmm. think we need to get in front of families and, and talk to them about the real cost of college that they need to be thinking about. Mm -hmm. but, but if we were to successfully do that, we would just, we would just scare a bunch of people off from college in, in grade eight. Um, I would hope not. I'd like to, you know, I'd uh, take the other side of it that you'd help them understand that they can do this, yeah. that it, it that it is affordable. I think if you do it right, you're not telling them it's unaffordable. You're you need to tell them how you can afford this. You know, what do you need to do to make this an affordable option? 
um, you know, what, what responsibility do you have as opposed to scaring them? You don't want, you know, they already think they can't afford it. So the goal in doing something like this is to help them better understand what affordability means. Again, financial literacy, understanding the system, um, understanding what's your, that, you know, you asked before, at what point and how do you talk about whose responsibility is it to pay for your kid's education? You know, might they receive financial aid or might they receive merit aid? Absolutely. Um, but at a lot of places, they don't. And, you know, the what you think is there from a state and federal government doesn't exist. Um, that doesn't mean you can't afford to go to college, but that you need to have some level of responsibility um, yeah. as well. Well, and there's just so much misinformation and misunderstanding. The, the number of, of people who believe, like my 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 daughter's uh, on the varsity volleyball team, so that should cover it, right? Um, <laughs> oh, the the perceptions. We're going to get a scholarship. Yeah. yeah, I the conversation, mm -hmm. the yep. the the light that drained out of my my little sister's eyes when I had to explain to her what that whole system is going to look like. Um, it, but they build themselves up into thinking, this is the ticket. We don't have to oh. worry about it because we've been paying for soccer camp every year. Oh, and beyond, you know, yeah. when, when, when I went to high school, you know, every kid was a three sport athlete. And once your season was over with football, you moved on to basketball and then you played baseball or ran track or whatever. And that was, and you did it all in your own backyard and you did it all at your high school and now you know a three sport athlete is one in a million and yeah. they they play club sports and they play year round and they have to travel all over the country and they do this under the guise of this is how we get a scholarship this is how yeah. we're going to get recognized yeah. we call we qualified for nationals whatever mm -hmm. the hell nationals means oh it sounds uh, like you've met my little sister <laughs> <laughs> and it's in every sport you yeah. know and they yeah, play everyone year round. Mm -hmm. i mean we have kids that drive an hour twice a week after school to go play with their club team in about four four different sports yeah. and and this is going to be our ticket to college and you know how many division one athletes there are that get a full ride and um so it's yeah and sadly what it leads to i think in many cases is we see kids give up sports altogether. Yep. Um, the the lack of interest in playing D three, you know, or I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out. I'm just done. And sometimes they're really talented athletes who could grow so much from that leadership, from being a part of a team, from you know the maturity that that growth opportunities that that provides, and they're just burnt out. I'm done. You know. So um, it's sad. It's yeah. Well. Jim, we do have just one one last question. I, I think we transitioned well to it, but imagine a scenario where you, Jim Zielinski, are appointed Secretary of Education. And God bless the USA. Uh, and somehow you get Senate confirmation and, and you can make one change to financial aid policy in that like honeymoon period where you can do anything. And this change has to help middle-class families. What would you do? Oh, that's a that's an easy one. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, there's no easy answer to this question. Um, 
And, you know, and I think, you know, the phrase middle class in and of itself, define that for me. You know, what is middle class and who thinks they're middle class and who's not? And, and what are the parameters of, of helping that middle class family? Mm -hmm. um, that, um, but, you know, I think, um, you know, so often people say they need to increase the parameters for the Pell Grant, um, you know, A, increasing, you know, I mean, look at where the cutoff is now. Um, that's the kids that just missed that are not middle class. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the Pell Grant money that's available, you know, the, it, it's not a full ride. It's, it's so small. And, you know, there are many schools who have, um, you know, Pell benchmarks and, and uh, money to offer to the Pell kids now. And that's a, a measurement of success, increasing our Pell population from two to 10% or 20% in some cases. Um, that's, you know, there's a few schools that can afford that. Most cannot, and it certainly isn't sustainable if they try. So, you know, as much as you think I'd like to do something with that population, um, I'm not sure that's the answer. Um, I think, you know, to mandate some kind of an overhaul of the whole processing, the formula for coming up with an EFC, um, you know, the middle class is clearly squeezed out. Um, schools that require the CSS profile and my colleagues that work at um, schools that require it will, will say that it typically does calculate a lower EFC for middle class kids as much as, you know, many will say the profile is a pain in the ass. But in general, um, um, you know, the factors used to calculate an EFC do not get adjusted for inflation and, and cost of living changes and things. A zero will always be a zero, um, but the formula, uh, you know, makes it hard for middle-class families um, uh, to, to have a, um, a need uh, more in line, an EFC more in line with what they truly can pay, um, yeah. <laughs> although, as I've said, I'm not sure anybody, regardless of what it is, uh, anyone will ever say, oh, we can pay that, sure, that's no problem. <laughs> um, um, you know, and, but arguably, if you do recalculate it and the system changes, is there necessarily, are the college budgets gonna change? Okay, it, you know, look, the EFCs have lowered with this for the middle class, but does the college have the resources that do their budgets adjust to, to, to be able to accommodate that too. So, you know, um, I think it, you know, it's a complex, with change comes change, it's a complex question, it's a complex situation, but um, I think something needs to be looked at, you know, that could um, just kind of um, adjust the whole EFC calculation formula, I think is the, is the, a good starting point. Jim, thank you so much. If you can believe it, we wound all the way through the questions plus some bonus ones. Um, so we, <laughs> we always just like to end with the same two questions for everybody, which is, Jim, what are you working on next? And how can folks get in touch with you if they wanna continue the conversation? Oh my goodness. Um, what am I working on next? It's early August. Um, I'm starting year number 38. I'd like to say I'm working on retirement, um, but it, uh, it's not quite time yet. Uh, uh, maybe a plan for retirement, although I'm not sure I'd, uh, I'll ever fully retire. I, this has been a rewarding career with its, all of its challenges, and I, I love 
being a part of the industry. Um, so I think even in retirement, I'll be one of those old people at NACAC with uh, whatever color ribbon the people who have no purpose to be there um, uh, wear uh, at NACAC. Um, um, but in the meantime, you know, it's every year's a fresh year, every year's a new year, getting off to a great start. We were meeting yesterday, our senior parent night is three weeks away and kicking off and what are the changes and how do you, you know, what do you, you, know, you have your, your, your annual script, but you know, what are the most recent changes? What do you need to make sure everybody knows? So it's, you know, forever, it's, it's all, as much as it's the same, it's always different. So being ready for a new year, we have a four year comprehensive program to work with our students um, uh, and just looking at everything we need to do to, to be successful one more time, one more round. Um, already working on my invitation to my March college fair. So if you want to come, give me a call. Uh, and you can reach me at jzielinski, um, Z-I-E-L-I-N-S-K-I at prairieschool.com. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate being a part of this. I hope this is helpful for your listeners. Well, and just like that, Nathan, here we are at the end of one of our J-Term episodes. I thought a particularly meaningful conversation with this guest. Is that is I think that we're that lazy. I think we're that lazy that we're not recording specific banters for each of them. So if you're listening to this for the first time, this is going to be great. If you're listening to it for the fourth time, this is going to be the same thing. So but you know what? You know, it won't be the same thing, Nathan, is season five of the admissions director's Lunchcast launching in anywhere from five to nine weeks. Right, exactly. Could be February, (laughs) could be March, possibly April. We don't know. So, but it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. All right. Well, this was a great episode. I hope folks continued all the way through the end of this closing banter. And maybe for the fourth time, they're hearing how we messed this up. So anyway... This really was one of my favorite guests of the J-Term. I'm just going to let that hang there. All right. I'm Nathan. I'm Tej. And that was the lunch guest. Thanks, folks. Nathan, I can see you. I can see you flipping oh, me off. Can't see you do it. No, stop making up lies. Come on, <laughs> Teach. You're the one that started it.